Well, it's exciting to be back with you. I missed you last week, so Happy New Year. It's good to be here. And I just wanted to say as we're starting, if you know sign language and would be open to translating during the service, we would like to talk with you. You have to know a few more words than I love you and Jesus. But other than that, you know, if you you would be able to translate uh, a message, uh, there are people that... uh, Uh, would be blessed by your ministry. So come and talk to me, please. And also, just for those of you that have been asking and wondering, uh, we uh, just had a first fruits offering that concluded with the end of the year and received $2.8 million towards our building program. That's the largest gift ever in our history (laughs) at one time. And also to combine that with the gifts and pledges over the next three years, we'll take it to about 9.3 uh, million dollars. So that's a, a great uh, beginning, and uh, we'll be keeping you posted. We're in a brand new year, but we're going to return to, we uh, did part of the book of John that we looked at, because we always base what we're saying on God's Word. We're in John chapter 14 today, so please turn there. There's a Bible in the pew. We'll have some of it on the screen. We've also got the, uh, in the bulletin is the January-February schedule for uh, Bible reading. I actively encourage you, read the Bible yourself through the year, and uh, get to know God's Word and get to know God better. In fact, somebody asked, I think it was Dwight Moody once, said, because he was an evangelist that was trying to reach the world for Christ, and they went to him and said, you know, Mr. Moody, I'm not really impressed with your evangelism plan. And he said, well, I'm not either. What's your plan? The guy said, well, I don't have one. He said, well, I like my plan better than your plan. Since Jesus told us, go make disciples of all nations, you know, and so uh, knowing God's word, if here, this is a Bible reading plan, we actively encourage our whole church on it. If you've got a better plan, stick with it or show it to us because uh, we'll adopt it. But we want people into God's word. And uh, so here we are in a brand new year with brand new opportunities and possibilities, and it's compounded with evil and hardship and disasters and threats and attacks of recent times. And, uh, you know, as you look at us, we're not that different. We're very similar, actually to the first group of of disciples that Jesus pulled around himself and uh, traveled with him and walked with him and he taught his messages to and they got to see his miracles and they expected, they believed that he was the Messiah and he was the savior of the world and... Uh, they realized they were on top of a great opportunity, uh, but it also could unravel very quickly. And so what should they do? And where do you put your energies? And uh, where do you focus? And our world is the same way. You know, we have lots of people with uh, a lot of heart trouble and uh, carrying heavy burdens. And we're, we're not immune ourselves to catastrophe or family problems or, or terror attacks or financial setbacks or disease or, or disaster. And we're not protected from having a troubled heart ourselves. We deal with worry and with fear. So begs the question, why does God allow evil to be so strong in the world? And why does God allow so many innocent people to suffer at the hands of others? Why do children have to die? And we don't know the answers to all those kinds of questions. We do know that God set this world up because he wants relationship with people. He wants a relationship with you. And he gives people choice. So you can choose to be in a relationship with God or choose to not be in a relationship with God. And we still live in this world where people have chosen not. And there's evil and there's sin and there's trouble and there's wrong. So the theological answer is God is waiting for people. He's, he's tarrying. He's giving people long time to choose to follow him and to be his friends and to be saved. And 
there will be a full accounting someday. God will settle all scores. And yet that doesn't speak to the aches in our heart and to our fears or to the I don't want to situations we find ourselves in where we don't want to do something, but we know we have to. Well, in the situation we're looking at here in John 14, Jesus, you have to back up a couple of chapters because Jesus is at what we call the Last Supper. It's a gathering with the disciples and um, they shared a meal together and then he used the bread from the table to say, this is my body which is broken for you. And he took the cup to say, this cup is my blood which is poured out for you. And uh, so then he said, do this to remember me until I return. And so we're going to celebrate that a little bit later in this service. But Jesus was talking with the disciples at the Last Supper, and he had been in Jerusalem for the better part of a week, and he had arrived there coming from the top of the Mount of Olives. The Mount, Mount of Olives is a little taller, higher than Jerusalem, and there's this Kidron Valley and then Jerusalem, and you can see from one to the other, it's walking distance apart, and he arrived at the top of the mountain with thousands of other pilgrims, all who were coming to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover feast. And Jesus on the top of the mountain had gotten on a a donkey colt and uh, people began to yell, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He'd ridden down through the Kidron Valley up into the city of Jerusalem, probably through the Golden Gate, which tradition said that's uh, where the Messiah was going to enter. Uh, The scripture said he was going to ride in on a donkey colt. He goes into the the temple area. He makes a whip and he pushes the merchants and the money changers and the animals out of the temple and he says my house my father's house is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves there would be no clearer declaration of i am the messiah than that well the disciples got excited that's why they had signed on with jesus they had joined just for this reason they believed he was the messiah they believed he was the savior and now he's going to show himself to the whole world and he's taking charge and all their dreams are going to be fulfilled Except as the days of that week went by, Jesus didn't seem to be doing the things you'd expect from a conquering Messiah. You know, like gathering supplies for a war or training his army to fight or making alliances with powerful people. In fact, he managed to offend a lot of the powerful people in Jerusalem that week. And he did some miracles and he did some teaching that week on a number of topics. By the end of the week, the disciples had had gotten, when they got together for this banquet, it's clear Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of Messiah that they had hoped and dreamed he would be. In fact, midweek sometime, Judas had secretly gone and uh, found a way to make a deal Uh, brokered a deal for 30 pieces of silver to secretly betray Jesus uh, to the uh, Jewish leaders. And in that evening, Jesus had said publicly uh, to Peter that he was going to uh, betray Jesus before the rooster crowed. So the wheels were coming off the thing and Jesus gathers everybody around and that's where John chapter 14 starts. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And the picture behind this Greek word for trouble is a stormy sea. Well, does that tell the story of your heart today? That it's a stormy sea, it's troubled? Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. You look at the hearts of the disciples. They were troubled for a lot of good reasons. There was disappointment. Their dream died. They had thought Jesus was going to be the king, that they'd be his right-hand men in his court, and... uh, Now it's not going to be like that. They have communication gaps. I mean, things just aren't working the way they're supposed to. Even as evidence that when they got to dinner that night, there was nobody there to greet them and to wash their feet like their situation required. There were impossible demands like Jesus commanding them during dinner. He stopped everything and said, I'm going to give you a new command. Love one another. 
As I have loved the Father, the Father's loved me, love one another. Everybody will know you're my disciple if you love one another. Well, would you? Could you? Love other disciples that way? Well, how did you just, you know, look back over the last couple of weeks? How'd you do with your family at Christmas? You know, did you really love them or did you just kind of tolerate the hard-to-love ones? I mean, I, my family can't be the only one that had hard-to-love ones in it. And if yours didn't, I'm, I mean, God loved irregular people. He made lots of them, okay? And so um, if there's not one in your family, it's probably you. And you just haven't, <laughs> you haven't figured that out yet. And you might be saying, you know, you're, you're kidding. You expect Jesus to say, love those hard-to-love people in my family? And... Yes, that's who Jesus is talking about. And he told the disciples that. So that might trouble their hearts a little bit. You mean we have to get along with each other? And um, then they had fear about what the Romans might do or what the Jewish leaders might do. And then confusion. Jesus had said, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. And then failure. I mean, Peter, Jesus looking at him saying, you're going to deny me. And Jesus looked at them and said, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Or properly translated would be stop being troubled. He's saying this because they are troubled in their spirit. And maybe they have real good reason to be troubled. And some people, when they're faced with trouble, they turn to stone. It, it galvanizes their resolve to fight their way through. And some people turn to jello. What's your strategy? What do you do when trouble comes your way? How do you deal with stress and fear and setback? Do you ignore it? Do you hide it? Do you run from it? Do you fight it? Are you lashing out at those around you or do you, do you spread it? You know, you, you other people that are happy. Oh, my goodness. If you knew really, you know, misery loves company. If you knew how bad it was, you, you'd, be, you'd be just as uh, discouraged as I am. Well, Jesus has a strategy for a troubled heart. And he gives a better strategy to us. He's not condemning having a troubled heart. Jesus himself, during this dinner, had said to his followers, my heart is troubled within me. He was talking about they were going to, one of them was going to betray him. And Jesus commands us to look to him to calm our troubled hearts. And so here's Jesus' strategy. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to be take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a way for you. I'm going to come get you, and you're going to live with me. When your heart is troubled, think about home in heaven. Our true home as believers is in heaven. Our life here, by comparison, is going to be just a snap, a vapor, just a flash in the pan. This is a, a dress rehearsal. and it, It's not our home forever. We act like it. We set up, uh, you know, the place like we're going to be here forever, but we're not. Nobody is. And heaven is our home. It's Jesus' home that he's sharing with us. Home is a place of security and peace. At least that's what it's intended to be. It's a house where you're welcome. And in fact, Jesus says about heaven, the place has a lot of rooms. There's room enough for all believers. Everybody who loves Jesus are going to be there. In fact, millions of people are already there celebrating Jesus. It's a house where you're comfortable. Jesus has prepared it for you. And he knows you better than you know yourself or I know myself. I don't know if, if, I mean, I was kind of sad. I got here early hoping that since it's just the ninth day of Christmas, you know, they start counting after Christmas. 
what is it? Is that the 10 lords? No, that's 10 lords. It's nine ladies dancing, wouldn't it? That would be today. So, um, that the Christmas decorations would still be up because the place always looks so great at Christmas thanks to Teresa and her crew. And so, uh, you know, but when I walk in and I see all the decorations, I have this thought of, you know, they did that better than I could do it myself. And I don't know if you've ever had that thought when you go into some spaces and they go, this is decorated so beautifully. I could never have done this. And heaven is going to be that way. God has going to have it perfect for you and for me and better than we could make for ourselves. And it's a place that you're loved and he wants to be with us. And Jesus is saying, this is where history is headed, to my home in heaven. Those are the people that are going to live forever and ever in my presence well, this sparked Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, to say, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, what happened is Jesus' conversation sparked two key questions that can help us to see that death does not have to be an experience of fear. It's one of hope. And so Thomas asked the first question, where are you going? How do we know the way? This is the guy that's called, in the Bible, is called Doubting Thomas. He just wanted to keep his feet on the ground and wanted to be sure. And after Jesus died and was resurrected, um, the, all the disciples were together except he wasn't there. And so afterwards, with enthusiasm, they're telling him, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. He's alive. And he, he goes, unless I see him myself and put my finger in the nail prints in his hand and touch him in the side where he was pierced, I'm not going to believe it. Well, Jesus humored him and showed up the next week. First thing he said, come on over, Thomas. Put your finger in my nail prints. Well, this guy wants to know facts. He's about being honest. He's a man of integrity. He had a twin, so he had plenty, I'm sure, of sharpening moments as a young person growing up, plenty of times where he had disappointments or disagreements, um, and so he knows people can let you down. There are four lists in the Bible of the 12 disciples. They're not always in the same order, but they're in the same groups of four. So your four superstars at the top, you always have Peter, James, and John, and Andrew at the top. And at the bottom, you have the no-names other than Judas Iscariot, who, I mean, who's heard of Thaddeus or Labius or, or Judah, the other Judas? And then Judas Iscariot always ends the list. But in the middle, is, uh, there's the, the guys that are just so average, you know, there's Thomas, and there's Matthew, also called Levi, and there's Philip, and, and, and these are not spectacular. They're not problem-creating people. They're just so average, just doing their best, like most of us. But he really loved Jesus. He's all in. In fact, when Jesus had gotten run out of Jerusalem uh, uh, just a short time before this Passover and was in danger of losing his life, so they had skipped out of town, and then Jesus shortly had said, I've got to go back to Bethany because my friend Lazarus is sick. Well, Bethany is walking distance from Jerusalem. It's a bedroom community. And so they're afraid Jesus is going to be in grave danger. And when Jesus said, no, we're going because Lazarus needs me, it, the, uh, John records, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas loved Jesus so much he was willing to live for Jesus or to die for Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going where you can't come yet. And he's wanting to know, how can we know the way? Jesus, I'm all in. I love you. And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not a principle. It's a person. It's not some plan. It's a person. 
It's not a lifestyle. It's a person. It's not a list of rules. It's a person. It's not some philosophy. It's a person. Are you getting the gist here? It's not a feeling. It's not a religion. It's a, it's a person. It's Jesus. He's the way. Jesus didn't claim to be just know the way or point you the way. He actually claimed, I am the way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to the Father because he's the only one who has, had, has intimate knowledge of God that's unmarred by sin. All of us have had a relationship with God that's post-sin. We look at the relationship with God through these lenses that are marred by sin. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He's the way because he lived a perfect life. He's the truth because he makes sense of the experience of human life, even with its ups and downs. And he's the life because he died, but he didn't end in death. Death was just a speed bump for him. He died, and he came alive again. And he's alive today. He continues to live and will live forever. So if you want help for your heart, you get it by following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, as he claimed. He's the only way. Now, in case you turn the volume up on your thoughts, if I were to hear you think, Pastor Ty, are you exaggerating this point a little bit? I mean, it's kind of narrow-minded, isn't it, to say Jesus is the only way to God? In fact, recently some Christian people have said Jesus is a way to God, but not the only way to God. Well, what's the basis for their opinion? Political correctness? Trying to be nice? Wanting to be inclusive? Not wanting a confrontation? Personal preference? Those are all shifting sand. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way into a right relationship with God. What's the basis for our opinion? Holy Scripture, God's Word. We believe this isn't just a book. We believe this is God's Word to us. It's our guide for our faith and practice. And Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's why we want you to know the truth, to read it, to know it, to, to live by it, to memorize it, to have it in your thoughts and in your decision-making and in your conversations. It's the truth. The truth is narrow. The truth is narrow. Do you know, when I want to phone my wife Cindy on her cell phone, I have to use the same seven numbers to get to talk to her every time. In fact, I have to use them in the call, call them in the same order every time. She has one phone number, and if I'm going to talk to her, I have to use that one way to get a hold of her. Recently, we just drove, we weren't here last week with you because we were up in Oregon seeing my grandson, and he really is the cutest in the world. In fact, I have pictures that I could show you, and... Um, you know, I have a lot of choices of freeways in Orange County, uh, but not all the roads lead me to Portland, Oregon. And uh, freeways are really narrow, too. They're kind of confining, and they only go certain places. And if I want to get to a certain place, I need to follow the road that takes me there. And you say, well, what about all the sincere people in the world? I know people who are not believers who are better people than some people who claim to be believers. I do, too. It doesn't prove a point. Sometimes we want to grade on the curve. We want to suggest, oh, it's maybe the best people or the smartest people or the richest people or the most beautiful people or the influential or ones that have really made a positive difference in this world get in on their own merits. God doesn't look at it that way. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons and all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And if you're going to be right with God, then you're going to come to him through Jesus Christ. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it had consequences for all of us that every person born was brought into a world that's infected with sin. And they all get infected with it. And sin brings suffering and death. 
And Jesus is the way. He's the only way to get right with God. And that's the truth. And that's why we need to hear it. Because we need to base our lives on what is really the truth. So Jesus says, you want some hope for your heart trouble? If you find me, you have hope. He's not exclusive. He's inclusive to all those who call on his name. So Thomas saying, how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that sparks a question from another one of the guys from the middle of the pack, Philip. And uh, he says, well, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, which is a little town up by the Sea of Galilee. It's the town where Andrew and Peter came from. And so some of the big-time operators among the disciples. And I've always thought of Philip as one of the more intelligent uh, disciples because he knew Scripture. He knew his Bible. He had been a serious student. And so the first time that they ever mentioned Jesus to him, they came. They're all excited. They're sure Jesus is the Messiah. And they said, we have found the Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And Philip knew the Bible that it says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Like, you guys can't have it right. Something's missing here. And then when he met Jesus, Jesus complimented him for his lack of deceit, for being a man of integrity. And Later, just he became a disciple, and as Jesus was teaching along, he came to the day where Jesus did the famous miracle of feeding 5,000 men and then the women and children with one little boy's lunch. But before he did it, he looked at Philip, the Bible says, to test him and says, Philip, where are we gonna, how are we going to provide for all these people? Well, Philip never went to Sunday school, so he didn't know the right answer is Jesus. Jesus was, right? He didn't know that. And so he's, he's doing the quick math, and he looks over the crowd, and he goes, 200 days wages, two-thirds of a year, two, uh, 200 days wages wouldn't pay for everybody to have a lunch, even a little one. Well, so I'm guessing he was on the disciples' finance team because he's doing all the math, and it's not adding up, and uh, he's helping to solve the problems. So in this case, Philip jumps in kind of with a dumb question, and he, he got an embarrassing answer. It was not his brightest moment. He says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you such a long time, and you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, this is a radical concept that was brand new in the world with Jesus, that God is, if the Father is in heaven, is God, and that Jesus who came into this world in the flesh is God, and he went on to tell them later that God's Holy Spirit is also God. So you have three beings in one person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all are God. And I think, though, Jesus was genuinely surprised, gen genuinely surprised that the, the disciples hadn't figured this out. He's probably been teaching it over and over and over. He's been living it every day. He's basically saying, you've seen me. You have seen the Father. You have seen God. And my miracles prove it. And so since Philip asked the dumb question, Jesus got to answer it in a soundbite, and John wrote it down, and we get to read it and know for sure Jesus is God. Well, then based on who he is and the authority that he has as God, Jesus said some other pretty amazing things. He went on in verse 12 to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will do the works that I do and greater works than these he'll do because I am going to the Father. And Jesus states that those who know Jesus will do greater things than he himself has done. How do we do greater things than Jesus has done? Well, we don't do things like raise Lazarus from the dead or anything, but we do more than Jesus in scope because we have God's Spirit inside. Jesus never got to tell the good news of God more than 100 miles away from his home. We get to do it all around the world. In fact, I'm so excited. Last year, we picked up two people groups that have never had the Bible in their own language in Nepal, and we've helped to pay for the Bible, part of the Bible, to be translated into their languages. And we didn't pick just one. We picked two. And I was pretty excited about that. So about two weeks ago, I went to lunch with a missionary named Ron Klein, who worked with HCJB radio station in, in Quito, Ecuador, and then he's worked with setting up radio stations around the world. And so we were talking because... We were at Azusa some at the same time together, so it would go way back. And he said, so uh, tell me what your church is doing. I happened to tell him about that. And he said, that's phenomenal. You picked up two people groups in Nepal. I said, yeah. He said, well, we did too. He said, I went to the conference on finishing the task, and we signed on for some people groups in Nepal. I said, well, how many? He said, well, 33. I thought, oh. Well, our faith is a little small then, isn't it? We're picked up two and we're really proud of it. And they're going to do 33 just to get the word out there because people have to know about Jesus. Greater things you'll do than I do, Jesus says, because I am going to the Father. And then he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Now, rather than get caught on the greater things, let's do what Jesus did. When Jesus was troubled, what did he do? He prayed. When he saw people were hurting, what did Jesus do? He had compassion. And Jesus says to them, when you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And it sounds kind of like the genie in the bottle. You rub it, you say the right words, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. And you'll get everything you want. When your heart's troubled, ask in Jesus' name. But what, what are we really saying when we pray in Jesus' name? We're saying, Jesus, take my prayer and make sure it's consistent with with God's will and filter out anything that's not. It's really the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden when he said, God, I don't want to go to the cross, but not my will, yours be done. And he gave himself. So Jesus' life goal was to glorify God the Father and to make him known. And that's a worthy goal for us as individuals and as a church. And that's what we're about that people need to know the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus, and he gave himself for you, and we're going to celebrate him. So we're in a brand new year with exciting possibilities, and we face the future with confidence because Jesus is already there preparing good works in advance for us to do. So we're going to take time to gather around his table. If you know the Lord is your Savior, you are welcome at his table. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you that you were willing to come into this world and to live here among us, to be uh, broken so that we might be made whole, to be poured out so that we might be forgiven and restored with God. Now, as we pray even now, bring to mind the things that we need to confess. We need to ask for you to forgive so that we can be sure to be right with God ourselves. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.